passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. Whether you're a seasoned real estate investor or you're just looking for your first opportunity, we all know that having a top-tier lender is one of the most critical things on your checklist. The thing is that many lenders overpromise and draw things out. But with Center Street Lending, you can say goodbye to the roadblocks and focus on making money. With over $5 billion in funded loans, 240-plus five-star Google reviews, seasoned loan officers, and white glove service, Center Street Lending provides smarter loans for residential investors and a fast track to success. Apply now at biggerpockets.com slash center street. That's biggerpockets.com slash center street. This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast. Show 251. So my life was pretty busy, and I didn't really have time to think about all the, oh, what am I going to do here with this money or what am I, you know, what are my goals? It was just like, you know, property become available. And I think, geez, if the last one was a good deal and this one's even cheaper then if the last one made sense to buy, then it makes sense to buy this one. Yeah. So then I would buy it. You're listening to bigger pockets radio, simplifying real estate for investors, large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets Podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. Scott Trench. What's going on, Scott? Not much. You, you, you guys might not hear it, but I actually did the intro today and Josh just shut me down real hard That's so he could do it. what happens when you are the co-host. You get shut down by the host. Ah, uh, gotcha. Well, how, how are things going, Josh? As, as The Rock used to say, know your role and shut your mouth. No, uh, <laughs> that is what The Rock used to say. And sadly, I actually know that because for a minute or two, I did watch some wrestling. Nice. Yeah. How about you? Were you a wrestling guy? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're a rugger. I am a rugger and I assume that the re- those wrestlers must sustain injuries like we do in rugby. Yes. I don't know if you guys can see if you're listening to the show on audio, but I actually Obviously. have a second black eye that I got from rugby in the same eye. I didn't reopen. In I didn't, the exact same place as the exact same place. black eye. I've even got five stitches again. And no, I didn't reopen my old cut. I got a brand new cut, like maybe three or four millimeters away from the first one. For a smart guy, you sure are not so smart sometimes. Yeah, I don't know how I sustained the exact same injury <laughs> twice in one month. It's ridiculous, ridiculous. Yeah, man. Well, listen, we, we, got, we got a cool show today. I know you're super, super excited about it. And I think we should get, get this thing going here. So before we do, let's do today's quick tip. Tip. 
All right, today's quick tip is to sign up for a BiggerPockets Pro account before the price goes up on November 15th, 2017. That gives you just two weeks to sign up at the current price of $290 per year. We're adding some cool new features, including an all-new rehab estimation calculator to the Pro membership, which will be live by the 15th. If you sign up before then, you'll be grandfathered into the current pricing and will not see an increase. After November 15th, the price is going to be $390 per year. And if that's not enough of an incentive to sign up today, we're offering a 20% off discount applied to your account for as long as your subscription remains active. And again, that's off the current price for those of you who sign up in the next two weeks. Use the discount code 1115 at sign up to get that 20% off. Go to biggerpockets.com slash pro to sign up. And again, that code is 1115. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Cool. All right. Well, good tip. Good tip. Guys, this is show 251 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You can check out the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 251. All right, guys. Today's guest, Eric Drenkon, is a real estate investor who really is the epitome of, of the DIY landlord. This guy knows landlording inside and out. Um, and, and if you're interested in getting started or if you're in the game of, of rental properties and you're looking for just additional knowledge, some great info, great, great ideas, tune in. This guy knows what he's doing. Let's bring him. Let's get this thing started. All right, Eric, welcome to the show, man. It's good to have you here. Hey, it's good to be here. Yeah. Very, very exciting. You, you've been writing for bigger pockets for a while now, huh? I have. It's been a bit since I've written um, uh, an article, but I have. I've written quite a few articles there and just things got kind of tied up with who knows, you know, rental property and retirement and oh, yeah. and, and that. But uh, it's always a great, great site to be on. Yeah, for sure. Well, I tell you what, Scott, I know, was a bit fanboyish when he was uh, on the phone with you earlier. I told him to settle down and I think he's taken it the other way and is completely silent here. But I think I think we'll get him to pick up. Scott, you can speak. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, first of all, Eric got, comes on the show at the first time and he's, he's covered in paint because he's living exactly <laughs> what he's talking about when he, when, he, uh, when he talks about real estate investing. He just came from rental property where he's painting and doing God knows what on his rental property. So I'm looking forward to it. This guy is living, the, living what he preaches on our blog. Perfect. Living the dream. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, well let's, let's dive into this thing. Let's get into the story here. So how did you get started? Why, why real estate and how did you end up getting started? You know, somewhat of an accident. You know, my dad was actually in real estate. He was a broker and, and had a company and that maybe was part of it. But how I actually got rental properties, you know, quite a few years ago, the um, and, and, you know, I had some false starts with some with some uh, adventures with my dad as well that we lost money on. But having said that, when I first started, I had a couple duplexes in the year around 2000. My father had a stroke and and I'd be, I had to take over his properties and pay the nursing home. And anyway, I had these two properties that you know, you could say had four units, uh, one tenant, big mortgages, and we had to either sell them or get them rented. So I decided, you know what, let's get them rented. And it kind of went from there. And then in 2008, I was starting to buy, I, I wanted to buy more properties. And I started looking at, you know, properties. And I thought, geez, if I just bought a property, and even if I had to feed it 100 bucks a month, it, it's always going to be worth more, right? That's That was kind of the way it was back in 2003, four, five. And then I started, uh, started looking more into actual investing rather than just what most people do, just go to the MLS and buy one. And when I started looking at that, I realized that to make money, you need to have positive cash flow, first of all. What? Stop it. <laughs> and so, yeah, so I, then I started looking at properties. And around 2007, I, I saw this one fourplex that I looked at. And I told my realtor, and it was listed for 385 right? And I told my realtor, geez, I'm having a number... I'm, I'm having a hard time coming up with a number with a three in front of it to make an offer. So she goes, well, make an offer of 300,000 then, which I still thought was too high, but I made the offer and uh, it sold for 380. So I made a $300,000 offer and it sold for 380. Um, and so we that, kept looking at it. So that didn't work. That didn't work. And, but you know what, if you don't make offers, you don't, you don't make it happen. All right. Let, let, let's talk about that for a second. Cause you're, you know, before you dive too deep on the story here, I think it's a really uh, good, good chance to dive in on this. So, you know, a, a property is not worth what somebody is willing to sell it, is, is saying it's worth. It's worth what somebody's willing to pay for it, right? And and 
a property is only worth what you're willing to pay for it to you. So exactly that property. And I'm in it to, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm in it to make money for me, not make money for them. Correct. Correct. So, you know, if, if you're a new investor and you're hearing this, pay very special attention just because it's listed at 385. Eric thinks it's worth 300 and maybe not even that much. You know, he could go and chase that property, which is what a lot of people do. They get emotionally attached, particularly novices, and they start to chase the price and say, well, I, I'm desperate. I got to get my hands on a property or, you know, oh, I love this thing. You fall in love with it, whatever it is. And then you end up paying way the heck more than it's worth. And there goes your cash flow. There goes your profit, right? Exactly. And, and that happened to a lot of investors just prior to 2008. They were chasing properties and, and of course, then eventually they lost. Yeah, right on. Well, continue. So yeah, so anyways, so that property didn't work, but I kept looking at properties and that just happened to be about the same time as, as the 2008 crash started. And so then I was able to buy almost an identical property to that one that I made an offer of 300 for, for about 318. Still wasn't as cheap as I liked it, but you know, it, it, it was one of those things that, you know, 318 still wasn't bad. Yeah. And what I was looking for is a 15% cash on cash return. So even though it wasn't my ideal number, it was still pretty good cash flow. Yeah. You know, it was vacant. Matter of fact, when I looked at it and, and people need to understand that these properties that you buy are not necessarily going to be pristine condition and pristine because it was 20 below outside. It's here in Minnesota. It's 20 below. And inside the building, it was 20 below because <laughs> nice. there was no heat, right? Oh, and I could see copper pipes split with icicles hanging down them. And I have no, and that's the ones I can see. I don't know what's going on out there with, with the ones I can't see, the ones in the wall and, and everything else. But you know what? We made the offer, and, and uh, that was the first fourplex in 2008 that I bought. And, and since then, I bought one in 2009, which was – it for 269, better condition. And I bought one in at 269, even better condition. And it kind of went from there. So every year from 2008, 9, 10, 11, and 12, I bought a bought another fourplex. And we did some flips along the way. Did a flip in 2012. But everything was bought in a creative manner. It wasn't just off the MLS. All right. And that's another another key. So, so wait, I got, really quick, Scott, what what market are you in? Uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Egan, Minnesota, whatever. Okay, right on. Sorry. Go ahead, Scott. Midwest. So I, I have a question kind of going back to when you first got started here in uh, 2000. Can you tell us a little bit about that? those first two deals? I know you, you had some experience with your father there. What was your financial position and your goals and your lifestyle like going into those deals? And how did you get those? And then why did you wait another eight years before buying again? Damn, this kid is good. Brandon you know, Turner, you're out of here. <laughs> you know, they were kind of, once again, a little bit of accidental thing. And I wasn't really thinking anything about retirement or financial independence, or it was just like, what are we going to do with these things? Do we get rid of them? Do we sell them? Do we, you know, cause my, my father actually went in a nursing home, right? So you got to do something with, with the asset. And so it was kind of an accidental thing. And I thought, okay, we'll just, we'll just rent them out and see what happens. So somewhat it was an accidental thing and it seemed to work. And then, uh, you know, I, I was having decent cash flow off these, even though, like I say, they did, uh, what I did do is I refinanced my house to pay off the mortgages on these properties. So then they, they were cash flowing real well because they were paid off. But of course, my own personal cash flow was a little bit less and just kind of went from there. And then as I started looking at more and, and I was looking at different business opportunities, you know, I had an IT job, so I was making pretty decent money and I was living well below my means and not because there was any kind of thing that I was trying to do. It just made sense, right? I mean, why do I want to go into credit card debt and pay interest to, I work for a bank, but, but to them greedy bankers, yeah. um, I just, I just don't want to do that. So uh, make a long story short, I, I had a pretty solid capital, enough capital in the bank. And, you know, looking back, what probably made a difference, I went to one of these rah-rah seminars. I went to a Dave Lindahl seminar, actually, I, not necessarily a seminar with him, but I sent away for some of his books and started reading them. And, and um, you know, some of his stuff is what, what got me to the idea of positive cash flow, 15% cash on cash return. And then I started looking for deals that would actually kind of make that happen. Got and it. it takes a while. I, I analyzed properties on LoopNet and, and MLS and, and not that I was going to buy them, but I would get the numbers, you know, what, what the people, what the seller said they would do. And I would, analyze the heck out of them. I must have analyzed a hundred properties before I bought one yeah. just as a practice. Well, that's great. Or, that's what people should be doing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to go back a second here. You had talked about on those first properties, actually paying off the mortgage on the properties 
Um, why, why did you do that? I, I, a lot of people would say that's, that's a bad idea is to pay off those mortgages and, you know, uh, make it so you're, you're not leveraged, right? I mean, calling it cash flow because you've paid, you know, you don't have a note on it. Uh, a lot of investors would, would argue that you're not cash flowing at all or potentially not cash flowing. So how, how would you answer that? And, and I guess why, why do it that way? Well, I had two mortgages and I consolidated them into one. And the interest rate was quite a bit cheaper being one and being an owner-occupied mortgage, then it was even cheaper yet, right? So it was, and I can't remember what the interest rate was, you know, on the original mortgage versus the, the mortgage that I wind up with. But I always thought that, you know, your job could go away, right? Your, yeah. your tenants could go away. And if you don't have a mortgage, your property will probably still stay. You know, you can always rent it out and, and you know, it, it's probably good to be leveraged if you want to really you know, expand, expand, expand. But I try to be a little more conservative and maybe it's the, the rabbit and the hare kind of thing, or the, I should say the tortoise and the hare kind of thing, but sure. it, it's almost better just to keep accumulating at a nice steady pace. So how was it going through that 2007, 2008 crash? I mean, you, it sounded like you, your interest, your motivation really peaked in that 2007 period when you were going, you know, going to these seminars and learning about stock investing, but you had these paid off properties, yet you didn't actually make your next purchase into the 2008. Can you talk about your mindset going through that period with the market crash and, and how that affected your market? Sure. It, you know, the, the stock market crash, I wasn't in, I was in the market in my 401k, but in my own personal investments, I had basically got out of the market in around 2002 or so. And so I wasn't really in the stock market and the crash didn't really hurt me. And, you know, I still had properties. So even though they might've been worth less, they were still, you know, when you have one building, it doesn't matter what it's worth. You still have one building. Yep. Right. Now, when you go to sell it, then maybe that matters. But as far as, you know, really didn't, didn't impact me that much. The real estate crash, other than to the positive where, where it allowed me to buy stuff, didn't hurt me. And it, I knew that rental property, you know, that people have to have a place to rent, right? And if I have a vacancy, I can always, I, I, somewhere, I saw somebody on CNBC, I can't remember his name, but he was a big real estate guru that has millions of properties, whatever. And he said that you can always increase demand by lowering price, right? And that's actually something you learn in economics 101 about the first like 20 minutes of the class. And so I wasn't too worried about getting a property and being able to rent it because you can always lower the price. And if you don't have a mortgage, and, and now my first property, I did have a mortgage, but I mean, the, the duplexes I didn't, but my first one that I bought when I got ready to buy, I had a big mortgage, as a matter of fact, it was like 1700 a month, you know, and, and granted it was fourplex, so you get plenty of rents, but you know, you still got property tax on top of that. And so it's a little bit nervous when you, when you buy your first property. Sure. I know, I know this is probably going to be Josh's question, but I'm going to steal it. What is your why behind this? What, what were you looking to do in going into this? What was your end goal? Were you working a full-time job and wanted to replace that income? Oh, or nice, nice job, man. Way to, way, to, way to like jump in and actually steal right from the notes. I, I love that. Absolutely. It was a great, great poach there of a question. Wow. Okay. You know, that, I, I'd like to think that back then I thought build up, build up, and eventually we'll be financially independent and then we can, you know, retire and live under the palm trees. But at that point, I was just thinking- well, this will give me another thousand bucks a month for something and, or whatever the number was, you know, and I wasn't really thinking that, oh, at some point I can retire and live on these. It was just, it, you know, cause I was working full time and I always maxed out my 401k, that kind of thing. And I always had different businesses on the side that would generate a dollar here or a dollar there. Cause every hour you sit on the couch, you ain't making money. There you go. And yeah. anytime you can take that hour and turn it into something, right? And some people say, oh, I'm not gonna do that. It's only, you know, I can hire it out for $10 an hour. But if you can get off your butt and do that thing, and even though you're only making $10 an hour, you know, I was making six figure income, but there's a lot of times I went out there and made less than $10 an hour, just because what else are you gonna make during that hour, you know? And and maybe there was other more important things that I could have been doing or more financially benefit, you know, like for the future or whatever. But if you can turn every hour of your day into money, and that's what I was thinking with some of these rentals, it's like, you know, let's get some, let's put my money to work. And at some point it just kind of became like, holy crap, there's enough here to live on. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't a, a thing that, oh, it's one more, one more, one more, and I'll have enough to live on. It was more like, geez, all of a sudden. I, I love that. I love that mindset, you know, because 
yeah, my time is worth X amount per hour. But if I go home and sit on the couch and watch Netflix for three hours, my time is worth $0 per hour. Instead, I could be out at my rental property, fixing up, painting, rehabbing, doing something that is adding value. So that, that marginal use of my time is not compared to the hour I, the the, the dollars per hour I make at work. It's compared to the dollars I, I would be making doing whatever leisure activity I was doing. So if I don't have something productive to do or something fun to do, might as well go ahead and, and, and go and build my business. I think that's, that's a great mindset. I love it. This coming from the guy who sits around watching dancing from the stars, but that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, so Eric, the argument, look, I, I, I hear the argument and, and the counter to that is obviously, you know, you should be spending your time and energy on the $100 an hour, the $500 an hour. So instead of watching Dancing from the Stars with the Stars with Scott, and instead of going to the property and fixing it, you know, you hire the guy and use that time to be finding other deals. But like to, to Scott's point, I mean, as long as you're being productive, there's nothing wrong, right? I mean, you don't always have to be productive either. The, the end of the day, the question is, what's your goal, right? What's your why? What are you trying to do this for? Like, and, and so it, I don't hear you saying, Hey, I'm trying to build an empire here of millions of dollars a year in cash flow. It, it sounds like you kind of started this thing. You're working and little by little, it's like, Oh, well, this portfolio can actually replace my job potentially at some point. Maybe I'll keep going. Is, is that a fair assessment? And, and also, are you still working? No, I actually quit July 5th, 2016. So a little over a year ago is when I uh, left my job. Thank you. And, you know, I quit a decent job, you know, like say six figures, 401k, 10 holidays, four weeks of vacation, pension, the whole bit. So, you know, it was quite a bit of, uh, and by the way, for anybody who's getting ready to be financially independent and thinks, oh, I'm just going to quit your job. It's more of a mental exercise than a financial one because it's the first job I ever quit, you know, without having another one to go to. Yeah. So it was a little bit, you know, and then when my boss said, are you sure? You know, cause I actually, I was messaging him on, on our same time system, right. Is what uh, it works. And I sent him an email saying, you know, I resign as of this date. And then he, he said, I got your email. I'm getting ready to submit it to HR. Are you sure? And up until I got the, are you sure? I was a thousand percent sure. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> but then he says, are you sure? And you know, it's just like anything when the computer says, are you sure? You got to just you double check nice, because, yeah. <laughs> but then I said, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's what I want to do. So, um, haven't looked back my portfolio, my stock portfolio has been going up and actually they have more money than I, than I spend, which is kind of nice. Yeah. But yeah, as I was accumulating properties, you know, it was just that I was so busy cause I would, once again, I was working full time and I'd buy a property and rehab it and rent it and do the apartment turns all, all me, you know, my girlfriend actually helped quite a bit too. You know, she helps with the cleaning and, and some of the, some of the other things, but, uh, for the most part, it's me. And once in a while I hire somebody to, to work with me if, if I, have uh, like one of the fourplexes I bought. I hired some folks to work with me, but yeah. every weekend, eight o'clock in the morning, I was there, you know, every day after work, you know, we get off work at, by the time I get home, it's five, five thirty, six o'clock. I'm at the property, work till eight thirty nine, and run to Menards or Home Depot or wherever, pick up supplies. And then I can't leave it in the back of my truck because it might rain. So I got to go back to the rental property at nine thirty, ten o'clock at night, unload it, then come back home. And then do whatever you have to do, you know, on with your life for about 15, 20 minutes, take a shower, go to bed. And sometimes I get up in the morning and the hour before work, run back to the rental property, maybe do a couple things that you can do. Yeah. So yeah. And then, so my life was pretty busy until, uh, and I didn't really have time to think about all the, oh, what am I going to do here with this money? Or what am I, you know, what are my goals? It was just like, you know, property become available. And I think, geez, if the last one was a good deal and this one's even cheaper, then if the last one made sense to buy, then it makes sense to buy this one. Yeah. So then I would buy it. Yeah. You're working like, you know, doing all this stuff. You, you quit your job. Did you then fill your time with doing even more of this? Or did you begin to actually enjoy some of that newfound free time that, that you had? Or are you still getting up at eight o'clock on a Saturday, going to your property to paint and, you know, fix stuff? No, as a matter of fact, so my, my day, I still typically get up between six and seven, you know, but generally I, uh, you know, I read the news and check, check my bank statements, make sure they match to what they should be with Quicken. And then, so I didn't really start painting today until I was after 11 when I painted for about three hours and, and, uh, maybe not even quite three hours, but, and I've been doing a lot of traveling, 
you know, so when I first retired, you know, we first trip we went to is Branson, Branson, Missouri. So it's about, you know, six hours away. Actually, maybe it's a little more than, it's about 600 miles away. So we spent a week in Branson and then, uh, so that was good. It was hot, but it was, but it was good. You know, and it was a cheap vacation, relatively cheap because we could drive there, you know, and the, the shows are cheap. And then, then we did it again in December because we want to kind of go out. It's like somebody tells you the ice is thick enough, but you can't just go out there and start jumping in the middle of the pond. Yeah. You got to kind of go little by little. And then, uh, so December we went to Branson again, nice. thinking it would be, might be a little warmer than Minnesota, but it really wasn't. January spent almost a full month in between Nashville and Florida. February went to Tucson, March we went to Biloxi and New Orleans. So you got, you got the life, you got what, what ex- yeah. exactly what you wanted. And then in between you're occupying your time, working on your properties. Why, why do you do that? today still, you know, obviously you can outsource some of the, some of that work. Do you just enjoy doing it? You know, do you like, you got nothing else to do and you want to spend your time doing that? I, I, and I'm not saying this in a, in a bad way. I'm just, again, right, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to understand because there are a lot of people who do that, but you know, a lot of, a lot of folks out there will say, well, that's, that's not necessarily a great idea. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And for me, first of all, everybody's got 24 hours a day. You got to do something. You can't sleep all all day long, right? So you got to do something. So if I wasn't working on the rental properties, I would be doing something else maybe. But the rental properties, you know, it gives you something to do. It's not really that hard. There's sometimes I do stuff that I'm not real like keen on doing, but you got to do something. And and I hate to leave a dollar sitting on the table. You know, that's one thing that, and I think, you know, if somebody's going to make 50 bucks an hour to paint or whatever, you know, because if you hire a painter, granted, you can go to Craigslist and hire somebody. But if you hire a painting company, a regular, they're going to get you for 50, 60, 80 bucks an hour or whatever when they're painting. They're probably going to paint faster than you, maybe. But it's going to be expensive. Yeah. And I think, you know what, if I might as well do it and I'll save the money. Yeah. You know, what? I bet I increase my annual income between managing the property myself and doing my own maintenance, doing my own property turns by at least 50 grand a year. Yeah. You know. And, and that's huge money. You know, I mean, that's, that's decent money. Yeah. And, and I think what that does is that reduces your risk on a lot of these properties too, right? So let's say that I'm a new investor and I come into it with your mindset of, I'm going to do it myself and handle this, these expenses my, myself and manage property, improve it, do the maintenance, paint. That really reduces the, my, my risk of having a catastrophic cash flow event. It, it helps me increase the, my cash flow for the first few years. I love it. This is exactly the way I approached my properties for the first few years, although I'm starting to transition to doing a little bit of the work, getting getting that outsourced. Uh, question for you, though. How did you learn how to do this kind of maintenance in the first place? Hey, Where did you develop that skill set? Before oh, that question, really quick, I just want to yeah. make sure that we're, we're clear to yeah. anyone listening. You've, if, you, if you do the work yourself, if you manage it yourself, and or you, you do your own maintenance – you still better be accounting for that stuff when you're doing the evaluation of the property before the purchase, because you know you go and you buy a property and you assume that you're going to do the management instead of paying somebody ten percent. At some point in time, there is a there is a chance that you will want to have it managed, or you will need to have it managed. And if you have not accounted for it, that ten percent suddenly comes in. You're in a lot of trouble. So, you know, that that's 100% correct. So when I evaluate a property, I assume that there's going to be at least a 7% management fee. And most people, if they're doing single family houses, they should, they should figure 10%. Yeah. Another one they should figure is a 5% vacancy rate. Yep. You know, nothing any less than 5%. And another expense that you don't always think about is a maintenance because, you know, sure you can figure out the light bill, you can figure out the taxes, you can figure out insurance. But maintenance is about 10% of the rents because your roof wears out every year for 30 years. And then all of a sudden you need a new roof. Same with the HVAC system, same with the kitchen sink, same with the whatever. And a lot of people miss those expenses, you know, and especially the management fee. And and that's just bonus money. It's bonus money in your pocket, but you should still factor it into the equation. Yep. Because if if somebody's got a bunch of property, they want to, that that they're figuring a 0% management fee. Hey, I got 24 that they can certainly manage for me if they're doing it for free. Yep. And, and this is why I think it's really important to always use the bigger pockets calculators when you're analyzing these deals, because when I build my own spreadsheet or whatever, I'll forget those things. And at least with the, with the calculators, you are forced to put in a number in there. If you put in zero for vacancy, 
that's on you, but at least you're thinking about those numbers. So you always need to run through these and put those in. With regards to your comments on repairs, a lot of investors will split out repairs into repairs and then CapEx. So it, it yeah. sounds like you, you kind of lump those two together into that 10% number combined. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what I do. And, and because it's simple, I guess, is probably the, because uh, you really don't know what CapEx expense you're going to have. I mean, you might figure there's, uh, maybe it could go 5%, 5% or, or some kind of prorated thing. But you really don't know this year what you're going to have for a CapEx expense. And then secondly, as far as taxes wise, now you can do about 2,500 bucks a year in, in expenses versus a true CapEx, but you know, like appliances or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have two more questions for you about uh, this DIY maintenance stuff. The first is again, how did you learn how to do this and develop that skill set? And the second is, well, I'll get the second one after you answer that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, YouTube's a, uh, a great thing to, uh, to have right now. I already knew quite a bit about just home maintenance in general, cause I used to do stuff around my own house. So that helped as well. But I was going to actually have a guy help me paint. Actually, I was going to have him paint for me. And he was just a part-time handyman guy that didn't really work much. So I thought, well, geez, he can work on the weekend, you know? And he was like, oh, it's Memorial Day weekend. I don't want to, I don't want to paint today. And I thought to myself, well, I got this fourplex. I need to have painted because if I got to get renters in, I got to have it painted first. Right. And, yeah. and I can't, my schedule can't be based upon his being able to work or not. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to paint myself. So I went in there and I, I told him I don't need you anymore. So I went ahead and, uh, and just started painting. And that was the first start of my painting. But then, you know, it's just like anything, you, you, if everything builds on itself. Yeah. So now you did some painting. Well, now how about, do you know how to do sheetrock? Well, you know, sheetrock isn't any fun, but, you know, you put the mud on and you sand it off. And the first few times, maybe it takes longer than the professional guy. But then after a while, you're getting a little better. And, you know, changing a faucet isn't that hard. But it just, you know, once you change a faucet, maybe you can figure out how to change something else. So it's just kind of a, before you know it, you're pulling toilets and redoing, you know, shower valves and the whole bet. So, but yeah, YouTube is a tremendous help on finding any, you know, no matter what your problem is, working on a car, working on a house, somebody out there has dedicated their life to helping you fix that exact same problem yep. that you're trying to figure out. Yeah. For free. And it's on YouTube and it's got a bunch of likes and it's great. And it's exactly how, right. I've, yeah. how I've done a lot of things in there. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Scott, before your next question, Eric, I just want to yep. jump on this one really quick. Why, why would somebody do DIY versus, versus hiring out? I mean, I, I see your profile making sense, right? I'm, I'm a retiree. I got, I don't have a lot to do you know, it's kind of fun learning these new skills and, and doing these things. Can, can you think of, you know, for, for the listeners who are, who've never done this before, you know, why would they decide to do it totally DIY versus, you know, hiring manager and contractors is, you know, can, can you make the, the case for one or the other? Well, as far as doing it yourself, you know, like say a simple thing, like changing a water heater. Now, if you can find somebody to put in a water heater for 300 bucks labor, you know, that's probably pretty cheap. And the water heater itself, they're going to sell you one and mark it up. So you're going to save probably 100 bucks on, on the buying a water heater, right? Because you go to Home Depot, buy a water heater, and you can bring it in your basement or in the, in the apartment or whatever you're bringing it and hook it up yourself. And, you know, I can get a water heater probably within, I don't know, probably a couple hours. But you're going to save 300 bucks in two hours. You know, it's, it's not rocket science. You know, these guys aren't heart surgeons, you know, but they're getting heart surgeon rates, yeah. right? They're getting 200 bucks an hour to do stuff. And it just is not worth it to pay somebody that kind of money when you can make it yourself. Yeah. Makes so, sense. So p part of that equation, I, I imagine has to be factoring in the proximity of these properties to your life. So are these properties all very convenient to where you live? You know, that, that is the beauty and the best investment property is one you can walk to. But having said that, mine are 20 of my 25 renters live within four miles of me. So that helps. And there's a Home Depot halfway in between. So it's, it's perfect from, a, you know, when I'm going there, if I need to stop at Home Depot, I can stop at Home Depot and pick something up. And it, it does make it, you know, if you're living 30, 40, 50 miles away or across the country, it's, it's almost impossible yeah. to do it all yourself. Yeah, and, and my properties are all within 10 miles of each other. But even, even that you know, it becomes a pretty big pain to get to one of my properties during rush hour across town 
after work. And I'm already starting to kind of resent going there when I have to deal with these small problems. So I think that that's a really important point if you're thinking about becoming a DIY landlord and doing the maintenance yourself and working on the properties is proximity because the farther, every mile that gets added onto these properties, it's more and more of a pain. And that does, I think, compound over time to into the financials of, of doing it yourself. Exactly. But like I say, anything you can do yourself, because a property manager in managing your property is a no brainer, first of all, it, you know, because a property manager doesn't even do anything, right? All they do is take a call. They don't yep. go out there and fix it. <laughs> you know, everybody thinks all oh, the property manager, they're going to handle everything. They're going to get the toilet calls at 2 a.m., which don't really happen. Um, but anyway, so a property manager doesn't really do anything. All they do is answer the phone. And as long as you have phone access, right, you can be anywhere in the world and do it because it doesn't matter. No, nobody knows where you're at. They, they dial a 651 area code or whatever the number is. And you could be on a cruise ship in the Bahamas or you could be up in Alaska or you could be, you know, across the street from them. So managing the property is no problem. And then having a list of contractors a call, if you don't want to do it yourself, maybe that's another key, right? But Craigslist, you know, yellow pages, whatever. I mean, because not that, because I know if I want to call a plumber, all I have to do is there's Farmington Plumbing and Heating. There's all kinds of advertisements on Craig's. All I have to do is call a name brand, brand plumber and the rotor router whatever, and they'll come out there and fix it. And it'll charge big money, but it'll get done. It'll get done right, you know, no matter where I am in the world. So I might have something that might take five minutes and 10 bucks for me to fix. But if I call a plumber, maybe it's 300 bucks. But that gives me the freedom to go anywhere. You know, same with the HVAC problem. I got HVAC people I can call. I generally fix my own HVAC stuff too because I just, I, I, I weed out the simple things, right? So I don't want to have somebody come there. Um, and that's a whole nother deal. I, I had one guy I, I, that uh, just give you a $185 mistake that I had. So I, the tenants moved out and I was in the unit and we turned the heat on just to see if it worked. It wouldn't work. So then I did some simple things. It still wouldn't fix it. I called the HVAC guy and he came out there and he said, well, Jesus, the gas on? Well, it wasn't on because <laughs> nice. so it nice. should have been in a in a landlord cutover status. The utility company didn't put it in there; they shut it off. And it turns out I did get my money back from the utility companies. But having said that, if a landlord can weed out the simple things, yeah. you don't have to know how to fix everything. But if you can weed out the simple things, it's going to save you a ton of money. Yeah, yeah. I, I yesterday I feel like an idiot. Yesterday, our landlord uh, at at the uh, the office here was was in the building and. We're, we're doing a rehab of our, our bathroom. And I was like, you know, while we're, while we're at it, can we have the guys check out the, the, the water line to the water fountain? Cause th that thing hasn't worked since we moved here. Walks <laughs> over, takes, takes the plug, puts it in the wall and it starts working. <laughs> like what? Oh no. Terrible. All right. Yeah, bigger pockets is the uh, idiot tenant in that scenario. Yes, 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 of course. <laughs> All right. So, but there's so many things, even, even at one where the tenant, he had one of these self ringing mops or whatever with a D handle kind of that you grab yeah, a hold yeah. of. And, and, and when they put it in the closet, which is also where the furnace is, oh. there's a light switch there. And when the light switch, anyway, that D handle caught the light switch and turned the furnace off. So then they call me and say, Hey, you know, the furnace doesn't work. What, what's going on now? Every time I mop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now if I wouldn't have been there or if I wasn't close enough to go do that, that would have been another $185 call probably or something similar. So, yeah. you know, just being able to at least rule out some simple things yeah. makes a huge difference. Makes sense. And, and, and I suspect that your handiness, your ability to handle these problems a lot on your own is comes in very useful when you are away and traveling and you get one of those calls because you know who to call and you know when you're getting a good deal or getting ripped off. And to move on to the next contractor. That's, I think, something that folks that are afraid to do it yourself are going to lose out on. You know, not only that, but I've coached tenants through a lot of things as well. So I had one where, as a matter of fact, it was this winter. So there's, he said, oh, in, in, in these fourplexes, the water heaters are on the main level on the bottom floor. And it's cement floor with a floor drain. So it's not terrible when a water heater leaks. But he said, oh, the water heater's leaking. So I said, well, send me a video or a picture of what's happening. So he sent me a little video, you know, magic of cell phones. And I saw that it was leaking out of the, uh, the overflow, the pressure relief valve. So I said, well, go down to the water heater and take that pressure relief valve and flip it back and forth a few times. So he did that and it stopped the water. Then I also told him now turn the thermostat down on the hot water heater so it doesn't get quite as hot. And that solved it enough so that it, it, so that it wasn't leaking. And then when I came back, I changed that pressure relief valve. 
but simple things like that, you can do it. That, that probably saves 300 bucks yeah. or more, you know? So Eric, how many units do you have today? I have 25 renters and it's kind of divided up into, um, uh, I got five fourplexes, a couple duplexes and one single family house. Got it. Cool. And, and where are you going? Like what, what, what's the goal? I mean, you, you don't need a job anymore. You, you go to Branson or Ozark. I don't know what you're, what you're doing there. I, I, I watched the show. So yeah. Uh, you know, there's some shady activities supposedly in that, in that neck of the woods, but, uh, what's the plan? Are you going to just keep buying properties? Are you done? You can just live off these and do your thing or, you know, where, where are you going? You know, I generally have plenty to live on. I'm actually going to, I just bought a new truck and I'm going to get a fifth wheel and we're going to do a little more vacationing, yeah, buddy. Uh, you know, get away in the winter time for sure. But I'm not really actively looking to buy any at this point. However, um, if one falls on my lap, I certainly am not afraid to, to buy it. Like, you know, people need to know you're a real estate investor, first of all, right? Because if they don't know, then when deals come up, they don't think of you to call to bail them out or to bail their friend out or whatever. So, and, and this has a little bit to do with creative financing too, or creative buying. So my tenants called me up and said, are you looking to buy any more houses? Well, I'm always looking to buy houses, but I'm not looking to buy houses retail and I'm, I'm looking to make money, right? You know, back to your original question, I'm going to slowly weed some properties out and buy some what I want to do is buy a vacation property in, in like Florida, right? Something that I can rent out on weekends and, and by the month or whatever, we, by the week, by the month for about two years. And then I'm going to maybe move into it myself is kind of what I'm thinking. Got um, it. Cause it needs to be a, you know, with a 1031 exchange. Got it. It's Got kind it. of what my, what my hope is. This is, this is great. And, and to everybody listening, you know, I, I love doing shows like this. This is, you know, this is, fairly different than a lot of the shows that we do because we, we don't often get a ton of really, really true DIY guys. And, and you are, you are DIY all the way. And it's awesome. Like, again, the point being, there's not just one way to skin a cat, right? You can exactly. be whatever you want to be. You can invest the way you want to invest. If it works and it obviously is working for you, you obviously have replaced your income you know, you've got the lifestyle that you want and you get to do the one thing that you like doing, which is, you know, putzing around in these houses and fixing stuff up gives you something to do. That's like, that's fantastic. You created this lifestyle that you want and that's the beauty of real estate. It gives you the opportunity to do that or like, Hey, I don't, I want to be completely, you know, hands-free. I don't want to, I don't want to get my hands dirty or, you know, I don't, I mean, there's so many pathways that you can take as a real estate it, investor. You know, that's it, a, that's a, Tremendous way to look at it. And, you know, when I say do it yourself stuff and, and earlier, I know you asked about how I learned some of this stuff. If you hire somebody like I hired a painter is actually a friend of mine, but I hired him and I work with him for the day. You learn so many things, you know, that that it's all about technique really is, is a lot of this do it yourself. I, I used to hire a furnace guy. You know, we installed a couple, three furnaces together. I realized, you know, it's not that hard to install a furnace. Yeah. Install one. You can save 200 bucks an hour. Yeah. So, but you're right. It, it real estate is there's so many different avenues that you can take in it. You can flip houses. You can be a landlord. I like the landlord stuff just because it's it's good residual income. Um, but there's a ton of ways you can do it. You can be a developer. Anything. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, with that, why don't we move on to today's fire round? It's time for the fire round. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. We're always looking for ways to improve, searching for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for better is by matching with quality candidates. 
If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Just go to Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash BiggerPockets. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, real estate investors, whether you're a pro or you're just starting out, having a top-notch lender is crucial. That's something we can all get behind. And if you're tired of lenders over-promising and causing delays, Center Street Lending has your back. They have over $5 billion in funded loans, 240-plus five-star Google reviews, and experienced loan officers offering white glove service. With all that, they make lending a breeze. Center Street Lending provides smarter loans for residential investors, fast-tracking your path to success. Are you ready to make it happen? You can apply now at biggerpockets.com slash center street. That's biggerpockets.com slash center street. As a quick reminder, the questions from the fire round come from our forums, and we're going to ask four or five of them. The first of those questions is a property management question. I've recently, I've just recently taken over managing my properties from a property manager only to find smoke alarms chirping and no furnace filters have been changed out ever. My question, do you charge your tenants for filters and batteries or simply expect them to take care of it themselves? I do not charge for filters and batteries. I do expect them to take care of themselves. Having said that, they probably don't, right? They, they, you know, ideally they would change the filters in the furnaces. They need to be changed, but I pulled them out too. Like I just pulled one out. The tenants moved out. They were there five years. I don't think the damn thing had been changed at all. It was solid, right? Whoops. Um, some sometimes they get crumpled up and then the air goes around them. But but you're right. And smoke detectors, they should change the battery. But by law, I'm responsible for it. And if somebody dies, then it's not going to be good. So the landlord should make damn sure that those things are working. Absolutely. So you know uh, another pathetic story of, of Josh, you know, one was the, uh, the water fountain too. Uh, last week I, you know, I'm like, I, I don't think I've changed the filters in my house and my reminder to change the house, uh, HVAC filters had not, uh, gone off of late. So I crawled up into the, to the attic where there, there's this two units, one in the attic, one in the basement, went up to one in the attic and I definitively had not changed the filters in probably six months. So I changed it and I was like, uh, this isn't good. We, we get our electric bill yesterday, hundred bucks more than it should have been hundred wow. bucks more than it should have been. And was, def- we, we, we could think of nothing other than it had to be the HVAC on overload, just trying to push air through when that thing was just completely stopped up. So there's your lesson. Make sure you get your, uh, your, your, uh, filters clean and don't, don't be an idiot like me. <laughs> My tenants pay electricity. Josh. Well, yeah, well, I am my own tenant. So uh, yeah, there you go. All right. Next question. I'm curious what other landlords do. Do you have a a fee that you use for when somebody leaves a deposit and how much is it? And uh, what do you call it? And does it get credit towards rent? How about that? Okay. So when my tenants apply for an apartment, because I I overheard you say holding fee deposit, um, they give me an application fee and also a holding fee, right? Of a thousand bucks just for me to hold the unit. Yep. And I generally don't even like to take an application unless I get that money. I used to say, well, I'll waive the application fee if you give me a thousand bucks with the application. But now I don't even do that because it's, uh, there's just so many tenants. I, it, I don't have to. Having said that, that is a little trick that somebody can use to, to maybe sway a tenant to apply and, and lock them in with that thousand bucks. That does get applied to rent or deposit. And you know, I hold the deposit until everybody in the apartment has moved out. Got it. I don't know if that answered the question. Yeah, right, I think, but I, I think I, it's a great, great, great answer. It's a very confusingly asked question. So well played. Okay. Scott. All right. When you're turning over a unit after a tenant moves out, what does it typically cost you? Do you budget for that? Do you have a certain percentage that you kind of allot to a normal turnover event? 
You know, I don't have a specific cost. And if I turn the apartment myself, it costs very, very little. Uh, there's obviously some cleaning, which you could say is free. There might be some touch-up paint. Now, on this one I'm doing right now is a full paint. So it's, you know, it might be a hundred bucks worth of paint. I'm trying to think what else I did. You know, I fixed a lot of small things, you know, bought a new patio sliding uh, screen door, you know, it's 50 bucks or whatever. There really isn't, when you do it yourself, there's just so much less expense to, uh, but you can probably figure a thousand bucks to turn a unit if you're paying it, you know, cause it's going to cost four or 500 bucks to, to clean it and paint it. And plus fix whatever else is, is the matter with it. Yeah. And, and I'll add on to that. When, when I do this for my properties, I usually have about $180 to $200 cleaning bill and I don't like to do the cleaning. So I'll have the cleaners come and while they're there, I'll try to show the property and take care of some of the problems, some of the little things I noticed, like maybe a, a handle and a drawer is missing or, or uh, there's like a, I need a new cover for one of the vents or something like that. So th- those are the kinds of things I like to do while I'm there to, to save, save some money and keep that turnover low for myself. Yeah. And you know, if you clean yourself, like actually my girlfriend helps, helps clean, actually she does most of it. And then when she finds something like a loose handle, you know, then I, then she calls me over and I fix it right away, whether it's a tub handle or a, a drawer handle, because if you don't fix those things, the tenant's going to move in and then they're going to fall off. And now you can't just turn it, turn it with a screwdriver. Now you got to fill the hole and, and make it work. Right. Or, or put a different screw in there or a different handle. So catching stuff early is a huge thing. And, and I try to fix everything that I can possibly think of that's even partially broke. Like the toilet paper holder was, you know, screwed to the wall, but the, it was loose, you know, the, 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 the part that holds the roll in. So I had to take the toilet paper roll off the wall, which actually tore quite a bit of the wall off and put bigger screws in there. But now it's bulletproof, yeah. you know, because it's not going to fall off the first week the tenant is there. Tenants don't like that either. They yeah. don't want to move into a place and, and find out that it's, you know, things are breaking. Yeah. So, sure. well, and then you, you get a really crappy reputation. So, you know, yeah, we, we, we definitely uh, discourage half things and you know, right. doing, doing it the right way here at bigger pockets uh, is, is, is the way to go. So awesome. All right. Last, last question of the fire round. What's the best flooring to use? And, and I guess that's a really broad question. Let's say, what are your preferred flooring for, let's say kitchen and then everything else? You know, for the bedrooms, I use carpet because I think people get up in the morning or whatever, they want to walk on carpet, but that's the only place. And, and carpet in a bedroom really doesn't get walked on much because people are very solemn in the bedroom. And when they are, they're in the bed and in a bedroom, you know, it's covered with beds and dressers and everything else. Any place like a hallway, living room, dining room, I prefer to have uh, laminate, Got you know, it. and I know there's some vinyl laminate out there that I haven't, well, I've used some, of, some vinyl laminate for the kitchen, but there's some wood grain vinyl that might be good for a living room, dining room, but I haven't used it, but I have used like, it's a product by Home Depot. It's called the lure. It's got sticky on two sides on yeah. each one. And they kind of all stick together in the bathrooms. I put tile and I put a, a four inch tile baseboard on the, on the edge. So instead of a, you know, for your molding or whatever you call it. And then I put just this most recent one for the top of the tile, rather than buy bulldoze tile, which are expensive. And you never know how many you're going to need because they break they make a little cap that comes on there. Otherwise I used to put just a, like a 45 degree angle with grout. But now with the, um, I, I just, for the first time use one of these, it's just a plastic or vinyl. It's like five bucks for eight feet. Kind of a kind of thing. You put that on top of the tile. It makes it look good. There you go. Nice. So, awesome. All right. Awesome. Well, I think it's time for the famous four. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite real estate book? Favorite real estate book. You know, good question because uh, I don't read too many real estate books, but you know, I, I have read some stuff by Dave Lindahl. Nice. Nice. Cool. All right. What about business book? Favorite business book? <sighs> good question. Like, say so you, you assume that I'm reading all these books, you know, I, I mostly just kind of read my stuff on, on the internet, but I'm just trying to think some of the books that, that I have read in the past that have really kind of made my, you know, I, I can't even think of a good business book at this point. So I, Sorry about that. No, it's all good, man. All right. No, no, no books. Just, just, we'll just say bigger pockets, right? Yeah, um, there you go. There you, go. Uh, you know, yeah. to tell you the truth, when I was early on, how I found bigger pockets, I was searching for something. I can't remember what I was searching for, but something to do with making money in real estate, obviously, yeah. or something. And up came bigger pockets. And, and I read a ton of articles and they were, it was amazing the amount of information that was out there. And, and I want to say there was a guy in Minnesota that actually started Renner's Warehouse that, um, and I can't remember his name, but I do have his phone number in my phone that, because I have talked to him in the past. 
he wrote an article and it was pretty amazing as well. And I think that, and, and then I started going to bigger pockets all the time, just reading whatever new articles were there. And I wasn't even aware of all the different sections of bigger pockets, but, but there was plenty of good articles that I did read. It was, it was pretty good. Awesome. Well, and now, now on occasion you write for us, which is, which is great. Um, yeah. Cool. So what about hobbies? What do you, what do you like to do for fun? Outside of, you know, I like, you know, the good, good question. I, I used to like to do a lot of hunting and fishing and I was a falconer for a long time. So I used to hunt with my red tail hawk. Get so out of here. Kind of fun. Yeah. It, oh. it actually was, was a blast. Do you have like video That's of awesome. you falconing? Um, no video, but I probably some pictures. So it is, it is pretty fun. Um, yeah, could, but, uh, could you send, could you send us along a couple of those pictures so we can put them in the show notes? I, I can do that. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Assuming I can find them, yeah. <laughs> but I'll find something. You know, I like to travel. I like to see different things. Kind of one of my goals now is to see every national park out there. Uh, I just got done seeing, we stopped at Mount Rushmore. Not that that's a national park, but we stopped at Mount Rushmore. While we were there, we saw national Wind Park, Cave. Right? Yep. We saw Wind Cave National Park. Uh, we saw a Little Bighorn Battlefield. Then we went up to Glacier National Park. Even though there was fires, it was still impressive. Yep. Um, and then on the way back, we stopped at Teddy Roosevelt National Park. Sweet. So we saw three in this this past thing. Um Awesome. Yeah, so I just like to travel and I want to see as much of the United States as I can. And maybe at some point go to some safe country if there is one overseas, you know, like, I don't know, maybe Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, well, I used to live in Hawaii, so I know that's the United States. But well, um, I, 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 you got the fifth wheel now. I, I've got an RV uh, th- this year. And, and so we, we started to explore the parks our, ourselves. We hit Rushmore and and Devil's Tower and and Badlands and Glacier and Yellowstone and Teton. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like I never really had a chance to see parks growing up and getting to experience those as as an adult. It, it's kind of an addiction. You're like, oh, I want I want the next one. I want the next one. So yeah, it's great. And of course, Josh learned how to uh, t- change out the poop tank in the RV. Yes. Right. Yes. That's, that's And actually I don't have my fifth wheel yet, but it's, you know, I've been negotiating with some people and some of these negotiations have been going on for quite a while. She's winning, huh? Um, the, no, actually the, the, the sellers. Oh, okay. Cause, you know, cause I don't want to buy one and have it be worth less next year. That will, you know? Yeah. But if you buy it right, maybe one year you get for free. Uh, right. So I'm kind of, and I've been working with some other folks or, you know, like this one, I made an offer, I think it was in March and we're still, you know, here it is October. He still hasn't sold it. So we're, uh, we're a lot closer on price than we were. And I think I'm going to be able to get that one here pretty soon. Keep trying. Yeah. Keep trying. Cool. Last question. Last question. Last question of the famous four here is what sets apart successful investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? I think it's the drive and the determination and the ambition, right? So if you... If you have a poor outlook on life and something happens, you think, oh, it'll never happen or I can't do that. And I can't say that I've never had that feeling, right? Because there's times you think, my God, am I ever making money on these real estate things? Because, you know, I'd buy one and I'd spend money fixing it up and I'd have to buy another one and, and work in 100 hour weeks for forever, it seemed. But it's being able to take those setbacks and say, you know, have a positive attitude and just, just keep pushing forward, pushing forward, pushing forward knowing that you have to take some risks, right? Real estate is not, real estate's a ton of money, but having said that, it's a ton of risk as well. But you can mitigate that risk by, you know, I mean, tenant screening, buying at the right price, not being undercapitalized. You can do a lot of things that will will help you mitigate that risk. But at the end of it all, you have to have a positive attitude. Yeah. You know, without that positive attitude, you're never going to make it. And it doesn't matter real estate or or building baskets, right? It, 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 you got to have a positive attitude and know you can do it and, and just keep, keep pushing forward. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Scott, just have a positive attitude about those baskets you're weaving, man. You got this. Yep. You got this. I will. Eric, it's been a pleasure, man. Where can people find out more about you? Where can they connect with you? My blog out at uh, no nonsense landlord.com is probably as good. You know, there's a contact me page. You can out read some of my articles. I'm a little behind on some articles, but I'm, but I got a bunch of my head. I just got to put out there. Nice. And yeah, feel free. Cool. And of course you're also on bigger pockets so they could. I am on bigger pockets. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. And, and there's a, uh, a contact or there's a way to contact me there as well. And I get an email when, when somebody does, uh, yep. send an email, you know, so that that works. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, lots of luck. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And, uh, we'll see you around the, you the community. Well, thank you very much, Scott and, uh, Josh. It's been, it's been, uh, first time I've actually met you guys or seen you. So it's, it's, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of your articles and different things on the, 
on bigger pockets, but first time I've actually seen you. So that's kind of a, a neat thing. Amazing. Fantastic. Thing, right? Yeah, it was yeah, fantastic to thing. meet you as well. And I I've like I like Josh mentioned, I've been a I've been a fan of your writing. So Well, thank you. I really like it. Right on. All right, guys, that was Eric Drenkon. Big thanks to Eric for coming on the show. Scott, was it everything you thought it would be and more? It was everything I hoped for. I I I told you I'm a big fan of this guy. He's been blogging for Bigger Pockets for a, a while now, and he you can just tell that he has so much direct experience dealing with tenant issues, dealing with landlording problems, analyzing deals. Again, I mean, I mentioned this in the intro. I'll mention it again. This is the type of person that I like to network with because that plethora of experience is just something that I can never I can never replicate. No matter how many books I read, no matter how many podcasts I listen to, yeah. that direct hands on experience in the field. It's really uh, irreplaceable. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, it's awesome. So as Scott mentioned up in the upfront, get out there, make sure to reach out to folks like this in your local area, you know, just, just getting to know them. I mean, you, you can't help but benefit your investing business by befriending folks like, like Eric, you know, active investors in your area who've got experience and obviously you have to make it worth their while. I mean, these guys get hit up constantly, constantly with requests from people to connect. So what are you going to do? What are you going to say to them that's going to get them to sit down with you that everyone else hasn't already done or said? So think about that when you reach out. But awesome, man. Listen, great show. Lots of great tips. You know, again, the DIY thing is just, it's yet another arrow in the quiver. It's another path that you can take as a real estate investor. And our job here on the Bigger Pockets podcast is to introduce you to as many ideas and pathways as possible. And it's up to you, the listener, to decide what works for you. What's going to be the best path for you and your family? What's going to take you to your why? And so we hope you found this valuable. Thank you for listening. Scott, why don't you take it out, man? Do you even know what to say? All right, I'm Scott With the Bigger Trench. Bigger Pockets Podcast. This is Scott Trench. And I'm Josh Signing Dorkin. Off. Signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. It's time for it's time for it's time for it's time for the random six. All right, so it's time for the random six where we ask you six completely random questions so our users can get to know you and, and uh, know a little bit more about you. So uh, first question I have for you is, who would you want in your lifeboat? If, if you just had a lifeboat to save one person on earth, who would it be? I got to make sure the other half isn't looking here, but <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's assume she's in there. Uh, who, who else would in, you in want? Addition, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because there, if, if you want to have an interesting discussion, you want somebody famous, not really famous, but somebody that's done it like a Warren Buffett or a Trump or a, I don't know, somebody that's has a lot of good information that you can talk to. Um, having said that, if you're in a lifeboat and, and, you know, where are we going? Are we going to a deserted island and that's where you're going to live forever? Or is it uh, just just to be saved yeah, and, just and we're pick, back in society? Just pick a person. Because <laughs> that might make a difference too. Yeah, I suppose. Oh, and, well, See, I'd, I'd want the best rower in the world in my, in, oh, in my life. But that would be... <laughs> that's a good answer. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll say Warren. Let's say Warren Buffett. How about that? That, yeah. that, that would make for some, some good conversations. All right. Because he could definitely tell you, I mean, cause he's definitely successful. Yeah. You know, Scott, I, I, again, I'd go with, I'd go with, Oh the, no, I don't uh, care what you think. I, I, what's the next question? Oh, next question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Which of your five senses would you say is your strongest? Uh, I would say sight, you know, and, and this know, coming from a guy with Coke bottle glasses. By the way. Yeah, actually, no, these are just reading glasses. Actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, you know, I can't see you guys on the screen <laughs> if, if I don't have my reading glasses on. So they're only like 1.5 hour oh, reading glasses for three bucks that I buy them for. That's not bad. So I'm not going to spend the money on some fancy glasses. You guys probably wear contacts. That's why you don't have a glasses oh, on. I got, I got perfect vision, although I'm starting to use those 1.5s when I, when I read at night. So see, that's, 
that's the problem when you get old, you know, yeah, and they say around 45 years old, you start to wear the reading glasses. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, next question, uh, summer or winter, which is better? Why? You know, I like, uh, summer better than winter. Although when I was younger, I liked winter better because, you know, it was invigorating, right. And it's still short of invigorating, but I don't need as much invigoration as, as I used to maybe because it's just too damn cold. And then here in Minnesota, you know, Minnesota, we get winters, right? Oh, yeah. You guys in Colorado, yeah, that's nothing, man. That's that's not even winter, man. This is true. <laughs> when I was so a boy, I would walk two miles to school uphill in the snow. Yeah, that's right. both ways. Each way. <laughs> but you know, the the actually like fall and, and spring better, but um, but I do like the summer better than the winter anymore. You know, right it's just it's awesome, Scott. So. Awesome. Uh, so, do you stand or walk up escalators? And there is a right answer. Yes, I is. generally walk up them. Yeah, there you go. Good. That is correct. Unless there's people in the way. You know, sometimes on the escalator, there's people in the way. Now, when you right. go to an airport. That's when you push them. Yeah. <laughs> so if you go to an airport, they got the people movers, you know, the flat escalators, you could yes. say. Those are cool because you can really move when you're walking on those. And oh, there's yeah. a line in the middle to say, get off to the side. Yep. Right. And the, man, you can really move on those things. But yeah, I generally try to walk up them if I can. Right on. All right, my last question: What is your favorite board game? Monopoly. I like Monopoly since I was a kid. I used to like chess too, though. You know, chess is a good game. I like, it's probably a toss between chess and, although I haven't played either for many years, but Monopoly or, or chess is always uh, get back out there, man. Get playing. I used awesome. to be a pretty solid chess player. Nice. Are you a good cook? Um, you know, when I was in high school and shortly after, I was a, a cook at a restaurant, you could say, and actually owned a little bar restaurant, but. You know, I don't, you know, I could make whatever, but not, not Nobody really. wants you know, to eat it. I, I make the easy stuff. You know, if I can't do it in the microwave, I generally don't do it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Generally, my life is too fast that I don't have time to stop and make stuff, right? So maybe throw a couple eggs in a pan. That's about the biggest cooking I, I do. Sweet. See, I make very elaborate dishes that could have a lot of love and care going into them, and then they taste terrible, even after <laughs> all that. So maybe I should switch to the microwave. Yeah, do that. Nice. Microwave or like say, if it can't be done in two, three minutes, it probably ain't worth making. Perfect. All right, Eric. Thanks so much. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the bigger pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leka Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R, today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.